Esnala Banda, a writer, Goma Award-winning author of Sketches of Paranoia, Head of Marketing and Communications at AfriShop Co., and self-proclaimed Afro-creative bohemian who is also a feminist. On this episode, we chat about feminism, the importance of self-care, freelancing, and financial stability, as well as her debut anthology of poetry, Sketches of Paranoia, available for purchase now. So come along and join the conversation. Morning, how are you doing? I'm good. Well, I call you Nala. I feel like everyone calls you Nala, right? Uh, most people do. So there's like, it's kind of split into factions. There's the people who say my full name. And then most people from university onwards, like call me Nala. It just was a lot easier that way. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us today on Conversations with Leela B. Um, I guess I would want to start with who are you, Nala? Like, can you describe yourself to our listener? Uh, that's always a tough question, actually. I didn't realize how tough it was because I'm always ask- on the other end asking the questions as opposed to answering them. I am a woman. I am, I would say, fun. Um, Creative, obviously. Um, I am. What else am I? I'd like to think of myself as a well-balanced individual. Like mm-hmm. I like to have my fun. I like to have a good laugh, but I also like to get work done. Um, might be a bit of a workaholic, just a bit. Yeah, I feel like you might be. But we'll <laughs> get to that later. Like the first thing I'm noticing about Nala's wearing a Superman T-shirt or Supergirl T-shirt, depending yeah. on. Um, so I know you because we've been friends for a while, but I know that you also go to things like Lusaka Comic Con. Would you consider yourself a bit of a geek when it comes to comic books or anime? And what are you specifically like nerdy or geeky about? Um, definitely a nerd. What am I nerdy or geeky about? Um, I just feel like a lot of different aspects of nerd culture I really, really like. So I like my anime. I like my comic books. I like my manga, I like, um, what else do I like? I absolutely like love, love, love kawaii dress code. Like I wish I could just be in Japan and go to Harajuku and just dress like the real person that I am, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like cause those days you wake up and you wanna be a bit of a pastel goth or you wanna be like an Afro goth. I think it's cool that living in this space in Zambia at the moment, you can kind of do a little bit of both and mix and, mix and match like your aesthetic. Um, but yeah, definitely, I would I would say I am a nerd, and I like nerdy things in all, most of their shapes and forms. Okay, so you mentioned anime. Like, what kind of anime, or which ones do you consider to be in your top? My top anime. That is a very tough question. Uh, when it comes to movies, uh, everything Studio Ghibli I like. Well, I say everything. Like most, I've watched most of them. So most of the Studio Ghibli's movies I like, and it's so great to hear that they're coming back and they're going to give us another movie. Um, when it comes to series, definitely I'm going to put JoJo's Bizarre Adventures up there. Um, I keep hearing about JoJo's girl, Bizarre Adventures. You need so should to I watch? watch? You have to watch JoJo's Bizarre Adventures. Okay, it is. I don't know how to describe it. So like the manga has got about eight parts in it, and each part is like. It's part of a bigger story, obviously. I'm not gonna say too much because spoilers, but each part also is also very standalone. So it is amazing. 
I promise you will like it. Yeah, because so. I'm not really too much of like an anime or manga person. Like I've watched things here and there. But yeah, wouldn't consider myself to be someone who's knowledgeable. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I like my JoJo. I like my One Piece. Uh, I like Bangu Stray Dogs. I like um, what else did I really enjoy? Dead Man Wonderland, uh, Death Parade. I know it sounds like a lot of dead, 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 but I do like I do like my kind of actiony but comedy kind of. Um, uh, anime so I, I like a good storyline but I also want to enjoy it you know yeah. but also blood and gore okay but also blood and gore all right yes. so I hope we can all um, actually check out some of those suggestions I think they're great um, okay so getting into what I really kind of want to talk to you about like how I kind of feel like I got to know you mm-hmm. was sort of I don't know if you can call it a freelancing circuit but this yes. world of freelancing in oh. Zambia Girl. <laughs> so, yes. How and when did you get into freelancing? What kind of freelancing did you get into? Um, I think my first freelancing gig. Let's see. Let me see. Let me see. Uh, so right after university, I did. So I, I went to and I did um, a bachelor's degree in mass communication. And after that, I think I got a call from somebody. They were looking for reporters. Yeah. Um for an organization and so basically what we had to do was kind of go into their various projects and write about them and then sit through this long conference like after it was like a like it took like maybe about two three weeks and they had this like it culminated into a conference and we sat there and had to write a report and include everything and do a photo book so i guess that was my first stint and that was like 2014 and then i sort of got a full-time job um, for a few months and stuff like that. Um, so there's that um, in terms of project-wise, of freelancing and repertoireing. Um, that's where that started. But also, I had known Nkole for a while, Nkole Mwambela, mm-hmm. and she just told me, oh, hey, uh, I have a friend who's looking for writers. Um, would you like to write for this publication? And then she introduced me to Onechi. And then from there, I think that's where it kicked off because by then Onechi was with Nkwazi, or just about to start doing stuff with Funkwazi, so that was, that's how that started. And then I'm still writing Funkwazi now. But he also introduced me to like Zambia Mining Magazine, to Agri Pro, and so yeah, I've kind of widened. I know now a lot of people would like, if they're reading my stuff, they're seeing a lot of profiles and things like that. But I've dabbled in quite a bit of like. I was about to say, so you've actually like written as a writer. I think it's. Um not necessarily important but it's 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 something that lets you grow a little bit when you do things that are outside of your wheelhouse so yeah. aside from writing profiles it sounds like you've done some stuff with agriculture yeah i started um with like mining and agriculture actually um as a as a journalist i hate hard news mm-hmm. and yeah i'm not afraid to say i don't like hard news like my my favorite thing has always been feature articles places where i can write and insert my opinion and things like that and not mm-hmm. just like straight up reporting because I feel like sometimes it's, tough, it's not it's it? tough and it's not necessarily always balanced and also because you have to kind of write what it is you have to write it's just straight facts and that's it there's no analysis to it there's you know stuff like that and so uh, I think even going back to Unza when I was doing my attachment I was at Zanis for like six weeks and that was a bit of a struggle not necessarily in delivery output but just mentally because mm. there's you there's no chance to be 
creative at a you know at a national information service what, what how yeah. are you going it's to be an creative? institution you kind of have to follow the exactly rules you have to follow the rules and just do as is your output is this is the story these are the facts here you go so you don't have time for analysis there's no editorial in there and i'm a very editorial person so yeah um i've been freelancing for a while i started out in mining and agriculture and then um i think 2015 was when i actually did my first proper and quasi thing i think by then samba samba was editor and, and you've written like quite a lot of interesting articles like your most <laughs> recent one in the january feb 2020 mm, yeah, edition of yeah so yeah. what was that like because i've read the piece but did you know him before and then what did you did, when you were talking to him did you find out anything that you didn't know um so the thing about, <laughs> the thing about that article is i've known mumba for i think i've known him since 2012 13 somewhere there um i actually ran into him the times when uh, at arcades he used to play at arcades so yeah. there's a number of times i'd like see him like near spa you know the old arcades there and he'll be playing and this one time i was like oh my gosh you're so amazing i love your music and my friend and i liked his music so much so like yeah and then every time after that i'd bump into him would say hi and every once in a while would have like some conversation so he's kind of always been i've kind of always been in the fringe on the fringes of the creative industry in some sort of way when it comes to like you know music and artists like that and so i think when i finally was like yo let's have an article about Mumba there's so many things that had happened like in the timeline of his career yeah. that it was like time because I did want to write about him but I think the timing just wasn't right initially and then there was his whole exile thing so I couldn't reach him and when he was back I was like wait listen let us just do this thing let's get it out of the way let's let's get this done yeah mm. um in terms of finding out uh, something new about him I think probably it would be something about as much as he's He's a creative individual and he's kind of owned his brand of music like what he does is folk music and it still stays relevant today because yeah. of him and people like him you know but just the fact that he will come out and still say like look there's still so many stereotypes that even i struggle with at the moment and you know he says when he was pursuing music it was probably the hardest year of his life like it was like i think was it 2008 or 2010 when he was like i'm gonna actively pursue music and I think it's a lot of things that people don't understand that once you are ready and once you start pushing your passion, it's not easy because people think it just comes easily. Just because you have the talent doesn't mean that everything is going to fall into place. Mm. And just because somebody hears your music in 2012, they're like, oh my gosh, this person is a success. And look, they just came out of nowhere. And it's like no one comes out of nowhere, you know? Yeah. People actually work hard. There's years of like work in the making in order for the recognition to even start mm. happening it is hectic and i think i like i noticed that more and more because it's very different from uh, from being in the creative industry most of the people that i know are in the creative industry so for mm -hmm. us this is what we do every single day so when somebody walks up to you and either says oh that was so brave of you or, oh this is so cool oh my gosh this is lily and you're like what this is what i do this is who i am it's it's, it's a whole part of me that I can't extract. It's not two different people that you're seeing. What you see is what you get. What you hear is what you get. What you're reading is what you, this is who I am. And I think people still get surprised. I don't know by me. I don't know about you. No, no, no. S same sis. It's just like, I'm just like, all this time, have you not been paying attention? <laughs> I've been mm. saying this though. 
so yeah yeah so anyway going back into um freelancing because i know there was a period of time where you stepped away sort of from corporate type situations and you were freelancing and you and i would have (laughs) many conversations yes many bitching sessions um (laughs) what do you feel like you learned because i know it can be a struggle here Mm. in Osaka. i Mm. think freelancing isn't something that's necessarily respected even the the financial aspect of Mm. it people don't they want the work they don't want to pay for it truly so for you what did that teach you about like managing finances because let's face it we're adulting we don't live at home girl it was a trip um but i did really enjoy it i think honestly i can say the two years i did of freelancing because i um i resigned from my from the agency i was working for in like 2017 and then last year november is when i was like okay fine i will do this full-time job thing and so in those two years uh what i learned first is listen like look if you're paying attention always get a 50 percent deposit on your work mm-hmm. put the clause in your contract Amen. and sign that get it signed get it emailed to you so you can always you know go back and say yo but i said this we agreed on this because you will find certain people like that man that we cannot mention who we know <laughs> yes that one and that one the problematic one um, you'll find people who will tell you, oh, but I actually told you that you only get paid after the client approves the work. And I was like, oh, they didn't agree to this, so I'm not going to pay for this. I'm like, I've put out 20 pieces of work, which you asked for. Your contract says 20 pieces of work. This is what you get. Whether they approve them or not is not supposed to be my business. Ooh, that's the biggest, though, I think, as a, as a writer or someone who creates content, I think one of the biggest struggles that people do face is the you are now being subcontracted by someone else who has subcontracted like exactly. so many third party issues yeah. and then you've actually done your deliverables but they're saying exactly what you said these guys haven't approved it so yeah. what you said about contract I feel like that comes into play because it's important for you to be able to say you have engaged me on this regardless of whether or not publication mm. happens yeah i still need to get paid because you're doing what the work exactly and the most i think one of the most annoying things also about writing as, as a freelance journalist in this country or writer depending on which way you look at it is um this whole business of you write a bunch of articles or you write your article and then you only get paid upon publication yeah, no. I'm like, uh, listen, Holmes, but I've done the work. So I must now wait, what, two, three months until you figure out your printer situation. Mm. Until you figure out your funding and whatnot. Like, no, if it's on the budget, ideally you should have that budget. Like, if you're on the other side, please have a budget ready and the yes. money ready. Before you approach Before people. you approach someone, because then that becomes a problem. Because I feel like... You, you contract me to write, this is February, I write something. If I have a month to work, I've worked for that month. And then I now have to wait another month for you to either publish, get your approvals and whatnot. That's two months I'm not getting paid mm-hmm. when I've already done the work. And then if there's edits involved, that might take another three months. And that's not realistic because how do you expect us to survive? Like you want the work and you want good quality work, but either you don't want to pay um, the proper costs for good writers and then you want to complain then that oh no but no people want to work with work for me or they don't want to work with me it's because you're a paying peanuts but also the working conditions because if there was benefits um attached to the peanuts 
you won't feel it so much. You won't feel this thing so much. But if yeah. I'm funding everything, I have to do my own research. I have to fund that research for your work. All in the guise of I'm going to get paid eventually and it's going to like come back to me. That is not realistic or sustainable. Yeah, no, it's definitely not sustainable. Um, we talked a little bit about the contract situation. Like, where have you found? Do you find contracts online? Do you have a friend? Do you have a lawyer? How did you start learning about these things? Because I know we've all had to do it for yeah. ourselves. Um, I think mostly it's been like online, but thankfully uh, with the, some of the freelancing work I've done, like for example, like the repertoireing and all that stuff, like I've done some work for organizations where they will send you the contract and you have to sign it. So when you're looking through, you're like, okay, I like this clause. Let's keep this. Let's keep that. But I was also th- uh, grateful enough to be working with people like, for example, Kathy Fudafunda, when I was working with her agency, like she is always on point with her contracts, with everything. Like you would discuss everything. You get a contract and you get a job description. Mm-hmm. Like she, she'll tell you, this is what I want you to do. And everything is in such a way that it, it's clear for you to understand. So I think seeing people with a work ethic like that has kind of helped panel beat me into knowing what to expect. Um, and also into being like, okay, I want this bit and I want mm. you. To, so you kind of pick and choose what to keep. What you're saying is important in order for you to advocate for yourself, to be treated fairly in mm. like any workplace or situation. Yeah. You also have to be able to feel like I can come and say, I would like this clause added or I want this exactly, in the Exactly. It's like your situation where you have to go back and be like, this is not a realistic clause for me. This yeah. doesn't work. This is not what I want. Let's okay because it's a contract is supposed to be ideally a negotiation you don't just don't just sign and i feel like a lot of even people who are established and people who are you know still coming up in this creative industry you're not aware guys it is your right to actually say this Mm -hmm. is not gonna work for me i can't work like this Mm -hmm. i need this in the contract i need such and such protections because you will be taken advantage of um, if you have a friend who's a lawyer for me, I'm always like, please try and ask them to look over it. Not everyone did contract law, but a lot of people did the basics. So at mm-hmm, least they can mm-hmm. spot even things that you won't spot. Because also the legalese on contracts can be very confusing. Girl. Like I really wish there was an app where you could just put it in and then it comes out like layman's terms or it's like warning you. Exactly. This is what they're saying. Guys, <laughs> I went, so I had this one contract <laughs> with the name Media Organization. In this country, this is country of Zambia. Mm. <laughs> so this is what these people did. We had a contract, signed it uh, for a particular amount, right? I had work to do. It was research work. So I did the work. And there's certain bits of their end of the bargain that they didn't adhere to. So they were supposed to like get me certain interviews. They're supposed to get me certain bits to go with my research. I was like, yo, you know, look, I've come with these books. I've done the internet bit. I did a couple of interviews, went out, but like, you know, you know when you you know how when you're dealing with like these uh, major, major pol- political players, you know, our historical figures, you have to write in letters in advance and all this stuff, and they didn't do that. And then they came around to say, yeah, it's because you didn't do that. You were supposed to write the letter. You were supposed to give us things in time. I'm like, you said you would do this. So obviously I'm not about to start drafting a letter because you said you would do it. Again, and then you come and tell me. And then you come and tell me that I'm the one who didn't write it, therefore it didn't get done in time. This is not even the worst part of this story. So there's that. So now we're running like two weeks overtime from the time that I was supposed to be done because interviews haven't been done. 
and then when it's time to pay i get told oh we're only gonna pay you half the amount because you only delivered half the amount of deliverables uh sis i did the work with what you gave i worked with what i had yeah and now you want to cut my pay fine okay like cut it but even when they did cut it it took 10 months to pay me 10 months months. how do you live so how do you live can you pay rent what what did you have other jobs that you were doing i think at the moment thankfully i was still with my sister and then i think that's the time i had what did i do after that i think so i think this was still 2014 and then i got a new oh then i started working for the food production company That's another story on its yeah, own. Yeah, that is a whole other story. Yeah, but yeah, so then I, I, thankfully I had gotten like a new gig, but it's 10 months of pushing, 10 yeah. months of I'm not around, come to the office, I'm in South Africa. But oh, and then you go to the office and they treat you like, what are you doing here? Who are you? I'm like, you know who I am. I've been in your space for like over, for about two months now, you know, previously. So you can't come and say you don't know who I am, but for you to keep me waiting, for an hour just so like i can inquire about my pay or inquire and find out yo is lily here like you won't give me the time of day and your door is open and you can see me like i'm literally here you can't say hi i was just like i'm done with you people like i just feel like these established media players in in our industry just behave like i like they think that like listen honey no we all we know that you're a mess let's stop there but just treat people with common courtesy like no that's completely unacceptable because in any other situation if you didn't have a family member to even stay with that means you're not homeless because how you how are you you're paying homeless, your rent you're you can't hungry. feed yourself healthcare yeah. Hel- you oh can't gosh, healthcare, do anything guys. yeah you're screwed basically so mm. yeah yeah my career yeah, has no. been a lot <laughs> but through all those trials and tribulations have you like learned anything about money like have i learned anything talk about, about money? how guys we should whether or not you're doing it Nala, how we need to be saving I don't Guys, know which peanuts we are need, saving. But. You need to save your peanuts. I won't even lie. Because let me tell you why you need to save your peanuts. <laughs> so once upon a time, I had like a few measly savings. Like it's not even like a lot of savings because I think at the time I wasn't during the whole freelancing phase, I wasn't making much. Like I'll make enough to survive. But after I've paid my rent, bought food, and you know, paid all the necessary bills, you're like back to broke. And thankfully, I was freelancing, so I'm not worrying about transport or where am I going or whatever. So it was very minimal um, external expenses outside of, you know, the usual that I would need to survive. But there came a time when that man that we all know who we don't talk about decided not to pay me for a job I'd done. So I, was, I, so I did the work in October. So that's November, December, January, February. March. So he finished paying me over like five months. Oh, wow. Yeah, it took five months of pushing and going back and forth for him to pay me. So at this time, there's no money coming in and I'm broke. Like, broke, broke. So I had to go to my savings account and be like, yo, I want to just clear this amount because I needed to pay rent. Mm. And also, you need to be around supportive people. So if you have a housemate or a roommate or a family member, whoever it is you're staying with, they have to be able to understand in your moment of need that, hey, this person doesn't have this or we are meeting halfway on these, on these bills and things like that. Because then you have situations where they're expecting you to pay and you don't have the money. Or if you don't have money conversations with the people that you're, you're lifing with, it's a problem. Let me just put it that way. Yeah. It becomes a very, very big problem because um, either 
a situation where if you're not open about your finances to a point to say, look, I'm expecting 10,000 this month, Lily, you know, this is what we can do with this. After we've broken down all our major expenses, I'll be left with 4,000 kwacha. And you don't have to tell people how much you're saving, but at least if they have a general idea of what to expect, if you say, I'm dedicating this amount to X, Y, and Z, you know, even their expectations of you kind of, they, they learn how to balance them. Mm. They but can manage their expectations. Exactly. They yeah. can manage the expectations. But if you don't have those conversations, you find yourself in a situation like I did where people are screwing you over over your money. Yeah. You know, it's like, but like... <laughs> there's a lot of shame around money conversations there's a lot of sort of embarrassment there's a lot of feeling like i'm not good enough i'm not earning enough but i think the more honest you are obviously mm -hmm. again people can have realistic expectations or manage their expectations Surely. yeah all right um, so I also want to talk about, we talked about how you're a writer yeah. and you did freelancing. I want to talk about when did you even realize that you were a writer? Cause yeah, you did mass com, but like in terms of writing sketches of paranoia and like putting all together, all of this beautiful poetry that's in your book that is mm. available guys, you can purchase it right now. Yeah guys. We'll let you know where. How, actually, how can people find you on social media? Um, so on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Nalaru, that is at N-A-L-A-H-R-U and same thing for Instagram. I'm barely on Facebook, so that's not really very important right now. Yeah, no. Nobody does Facebook. Nobody really. Only, only <laughs> some of us who still work in digital strategy Girl, things. So we're still I stuck wish there. I could get rid of that account. But <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Like, when did you realize that you were a writer, or did you have a moment of realization? Ah, so my writing journey is very linked to my reading journey. I think that that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. So when I was in about, I'd say grade year two, grade two. Uh, I never really liked reading much and so um, but you know I went to this new school and on the wall there was a chart I went to one of the, I went to a prep school a bit when I was younger so there was like this chart of uh, Edward Lear's The Owl and the Pussycat on the wall and mm -hmm. one of those, you know those interactive classrooms there's always a section for this a section for that yeah and I remember being frustrated in grade one, grade two and grade three because I couldn't read and I was in a class full of most of the people could read like when I say read, couldn't read, I mean, like, couldn't read fluently, mm -hmm. you know. So the good thing about the school is that they would do, so you'd always have class reading time. There was one book that the whole class is reading. And then you would also have, for those of us who are struggling to read, would have a student teacher sit with us and read us, like, through separate books until we could be able to catch up and get to the point where we did that. Excuse me. So that was my um, year two and year three. And by the time I hit, like, grade four, I was just reading everything and anything and we also used to do uh, compositions in English and so I just you know just let my imagination run free <laughs> um, they would always make make us like break down our, our composition so you have to draw a chart and you have to have like a slot for characters plot scene you know everything map it all out before you write it down so you kind of learn to compartmentalize your ideas mm. yeah um, as opposed to just sitting down to a blank page because you can have an idea but how are you gonna like flesh it out sometimes 
you start writing a story or you start thinking about a story and then halfway through you realize you're at the end of the story like oh this is really how it should end or this is actually the middle this is what i want to be the middle so when you yeah. like map it out like that it's kind of easier so that's where i started um in terms of writing and i really really like composition i mean i did like comprehension as well but not as much um so yeah i'd write at school um by the time i hit high school um, I have friends who would write, like they'd get like a, like spare booklets and stuff and they would like write stories in there which we would always read and they were always so much fun. And I started kind of dabbling in that like a little bit. Um, but in, in terms of journalistic writing, I, um, I remember, I think I must have been about 12 or 13, 12 or 13 anyway, it was like uh, after grade 9, you know you have that long break waiting for your grade 10 results and I was in Kitre at my sister's in like um in like Ndeke village and sometimes like if I'm not outside like playing with my friends you know if it's raining or whatever you're sitting inside and you're watching tv and you know when it's those tv channels like you literally only have ZNBC, DWTV and like yeah. BBC so you know everything that's coming on and so I spend a lot of time watching DWTV because I love documentaries but also if I'm watching BBC and whatnot and I'd see people like Darshini David um, who's an amazing journalist and I'd be like I want to be like her and at this point I hadn't even decided whether I wanted to be like you know to do broadcast or to just write full-time and so I remember when I came back to Lusaka and my brother's asking me what do you want to do I was like oh you know I want to be a journalist and he's like yeah if you're gonna be a journalist you have to finish school go to Unza do master Mm -hmm. and that was that was it that was like okay that's what I'm doing so got back to school in grade 10 like what do you want to be i want to be a journalist and we're just like okay we're going to be unza girls this is what this is what i'm gonna do i'm going to unza and that's just it worked straight from there and thankfully by the time i got to unza we um like our intake was the last intake where you could decide what you want to major in because they used to do either print or broadcast now you have to learn everything just so that you're well-rounded which is a great idea but for us, you could really specialize, like from bad, from like second year, because it's a four-year course. From second year, you can specialize into print and broadcast. And I remember our class was about 28 people. And when we split, um, my class only had seven students for print. Oh, wow. By the time we were graduating, there was five of us. Now I'm seeing maybe why there's an issue with print media. But anyway, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, so by the time we are graduating, there was five of us. Yeah. From my intake, and I graduated in 2013. So there was five print students, and the rest were all broadcast students. Mm-hmm. Um, out of the five, yeah. So like first was seven, then were five, and out of the five, two went on to work uh, with newspapers. I'm not sure what they're doing now. Another one went into PR. Another one went for went to work for Zanis, and then yeah, there's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's I, I think the thing we like about print is that it's very very eclectic. It's a lot easier. I think to go into other things from print as opposed for, uh, to if you're just doing broadcasts. Mm-hmm. But the good thing about what we studied is that you had the options of electives where you could also do uh, stuff like PR, you could learn advertising, you could learn photography. So it's easy for you to kind of, yeah, so you kind of, you kind of come out well-rounded, like you can do a little bit of this and that. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I want to talk about sketches mm-hmm. of paranoia. So, Sketches of Paranoia is an anthology of poetry that spans over how many years, Nala? Because I know, I saw the other day on your social media, you posted, you found 
the books that had the original poems yeah in them. i'm a hoarder i have those things oh no she i knows also books well <laughs> i also have notebooks and notebooks from when i was 14 i was going through them and laughing the other day because i was like wow this is really bad or sometimes like, i'm I like Ooh, burn it, but i can't this was a good poem like, though i need to get rid of this why is this evidence yeah. here uh yeah so i've been writing uh poetry from I'd say 2008 actually like when I look back I'm like oh it's actually 2008 I thought it was like 2009 but um I've been writing for a while like I started writing uh after so after I got out of high school in like 2007 so the next year after that there's like not much to do and I remember I had a friend who wanted to pursue music so she'd always come to mine and we would go down to the studio so we'd go to like Roma side and I think she wanted to like initially have her conversations with like TK and Knox and them. So we would go down down the road and chill there. Which is actually really funny because that's the first place I saw Pompey. <laughs> <laughs> so you see how it's kind of like very, when it comes to, to how my creative journey has been, it's like, it's all kind of very interactive. I think it's one of the first places I saw like people like Pompey. And I think at some point, Jaysa, and now these are like people that I see all the time. And it's like, oh, hey, what's up? But, um, while waiting for her, I'd sit outside sometimes and then I'd just start writing. I was like, that's where, I mean, my first poems are not great. I won't even lie. Like some of them, I'm just like, yeah. I think even Edgar <laughs> Allan Poe's first poem wasn't great or whoever's first poem was. I'm just like, why did I even call myself a poet at this point? But that's when I started writing poetry, like about 2008. And it's really, really funny to look back and like, this poem was trash. And you guys thought this was good. Huh. It's a lot, it kind of opens up your mind. It's like, okay, you guys saw what did you get? See potential, what What was this? Mm. So, but then also it's, it's, it's also always very easy for you to be hard on yourself. Like after you've gone through this growth process, you're just like, mm, It sis. is very easy to be hard on yourself. Yeah, so, so I, I know that you also that had some experience with bittersweet poetry. Ah, uh, yes. So, uh, like I said, I started writing about 2008. And then the time I was at Unza, I had a, friend who would always be like oh you need to get in touch with the bittersweet guys and whatnot whatnot and she introduced me to Mwape and this should have been about 2010 maybe going into 11 and then Mwape read some of my stuff and he's like yo you need to get on stage I was like nope you need to get on stage I was like I have stage right you need to get on stage I was like so he he hounded me for like almost three months straight every time I'd run into him it'd be like come for bittersweet come for bittersweet come for bittersweet so I remember, uh, so when I finally did go for Bittersweet, um, we were in the upper room at La Gondola, and I think the first piece that I ever recited in front of a group of people was They Fell Around Me, which is in, in Sketches of Paranoia, um, inspired by uh, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, because I'm a history buff. Little, <laughs> maybe possibly not that well-known fact, I don't know. Yeah. I think I've picked up on that, but yeah. Yeah, I love my history, so yeah. So did you like then continue performing or is it or do you have I feel like maybe you have like a flirty love affair with like performing the poetry I see you more as like the person who writes it and you're like I don't so, want to perform I think it's, it's it's a lot to do with reinvention because mm. there's some people who have never actually read like read read like like oh I'm always gonna read your things but they've seen me on stages and they're like oh when are you gonna be on stage next I really had I had a stint of being on stage for a really long time I think for for about maybe it's almost two three years straight I would be a bittersweet every two weeks when it was a start like gondola and then even up until it moved to Mulungushi, like every two weeks I'd be on stage doing a piece, doing a part. 
And what do you and think then, that did for your poetry, though? Like, for your skill as a poetry writer? Because I if you're doing it every two weeks, don't you need to come with freshness? Fresh content. Um, I think what happened was, A, I learned how to be a spoken word artist. So, mm-hmm. obviously, issues of delivery and stuff like that. But when it comes to content now, it's very different writing for paper and writing for stage. And thankfully, there's a few of us who can do both and like two in one because there's some poems in my book that double as you know a spoken word piece but also as a standalone piece of poetry that you can read and still enjoy so there's that um i think it kind of teaches you to be eclectic and honestly it did a lot for my stage fright constantly standing on the stage because i remember this one time uh, this must have been grade 11 so that's about like 2005 and i had to read you know this thing where they make you read your compositions or your essay in yes. front of class and my hands were shaking so much i had to put my paper down but then i was like okay if i want to do this journalism thing i have to you know get a grip on this so i opted to offer to start reading news assembly so that came with okay you have to get the newspapers compile like interesting bits of news and an assembly year reading in front of the whole school so i kind of like at the back of my mind started working on my stage fright but then after school, I hadn't done so much of it. But I was like, if I want to be this person, I have to couple it with working on how to manage being in front of groups of people because this is what happens. This is this is part of the job. You can't afford to like not be great at this. So yeah, there's that. So I did Bittersweet for a while. And then I think 2012, my friends and I started our own thing at uh, News Cafe. Like it was during the week though. So it was like Soul Tuesdays yeah um so we would have some people come through would perform and um we're trying to raise money for but then there was an organization called sage new dawn where we used to uh it was an ngo a youth-run ngo so we would try to help out there was a school in Gombe that we used to try and raise money for and you know make sure they pay their rent they have like all the equipment they need and stuff like that and then, um, yeah, so Tuesdays then moved to radio. It was on Joy FM for a while. Um, we had like w- two major events as Soul Tuesdays we had. So there's one we did at the Brown Frog, which was very, oof, the organization of that was a bit crazy. Cause this is like, like just picture like 21, 19, 16, 18 year olds putting together this poetry show. It was, it was pretty, yeah, yeah, I know we were, (laughs) we were really young, but we were really passionate about what we were doing. And I remember for that show, hounding down Pilato and saying, listen, hi, I have a show. Can you come for our show? You're really cool. I know you want to go more for poetry, like a couple of years ago. Can you come for my show? Mm. And he was like, yeah, sure. And initially when he came, he was like, I'm just like, he was like, I'm just going to go. And then by the time he saw what was going on with the people that um, we had been mentoring and the people that we've been talking to, the young poets is like, okay, I want to do something on stage. And we're just like, yes, this is what we want. Like, you know, yeah. so it's like basically like so much support of the arts. It was, it was crazy. That was a really good show. Um, yeah. So, and again, like it was a perfect example of artists supporting other artists or creatives mm-hmm. supporting other creatives. Yeah. I think, you know, when you are an established person, I'm sure there's a lot of invitations, come see this, come do that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he still came through and then he saw the talent and what it was, how, you know, I feel like when you see someone on stage mm-hmm. and they're performing, 
any piece of art like you just see like a whole other person yeah. like up there like there's like you know this glow that comes from the inside out and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like a very it's a beautiful experience and a beautiful thing to watch to see especially young kids like sort of experience yeah. it's almost like they're having a moment of realization of oh i can do this or i'm good at this or this exactly. is what i love yeah um so i think that's a really beautiful thing yeah, yeah so you've actually had like a very like deep-rooted background (laughs) in this poetry community in Zambia. Yeah. I actually had no idea. It's it's very... Yeah, like, so my my poetry career has been a a lot more than bittersweet, but it's also been, like, Mm. there's a lot of things that bittersweet was instrumental to, because even when I stopped being on stage, you know, um, for reasons, but I was like, okay, let me concentrate more on writing. Um... There was they had their Facebook page and there's a lot of people that I met off the Facebook page who, you know, even today I'm still in touch with, people I've collaborated with. Like I have if you in my book at the end you'll see a chapter called A Walk with Friends. There's uh it mentions Lee Stewart there. I have a I think maybe a piece or two with Lee Stewart. I met him off the Bittersweet page and he's based in Scotland. And we would just talk, you know, occasionally, hey, how are you doing? Are you good? check up on each other and we would write poetry you know we thank god for the digital age because otherwise certain collaborations wouldn't have happened but this is this is how we kind of got in touch and we would we would write pieces together and so it also opened up a lot of channels for collaborations on different things different poems and also different concepts um and what what poetry can actually be um but overall i think as i don't like to call myself a spoken word artist honestly i feel like I'd rather encompass the word poet because as much as I do spoken word poetry or I'll do recite on stage, I very much do like the technical aspects of poetry as well. So you see some in the book, like you'll see sonnets, you'll see tankers, you'll see haikus. Because for me, poetry started from reading like a Puffin's book of verse, you know, children's mm-hmm. verse. And, you know, I like to look at rhyme schemes. I want to know, is it A, B, A, B? Is it, you know... A A B B like I like we to go inside. might have just inside. lost some listeners, but anyway, you, know. you guys, you went to school. I'm sure you remember. <laughs> I like to go <laughs> all the way structures. in, like so. You know, because generally, I think when people think poetry, they think Ed, Ed, you killed my mother, you killed my father. No, for me, poetry is you know, like the cat and the hat sat on the mat. It's like, is it rhyming? You know, what are the what what are the ending words? How's it going? Is it so I like to go all the way into my poetry. Like I'm very technical, like I will read. Is it an acrostic poem? Is it a you know, there's all these different technicalities. Like mm-hmm. that's how passionate I am about my poetry. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the end of part one of this episode with Esnala Banda. In the next episode, we discuss her self-publishing of her debut anthology, Sketches of Paranoia. We also touch on feminism. Remember, you can follow Conversations with Lila B on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can use the hashtag JoinTheConversation and the hashtag ConversationsWithLilaB in order to interact with us. Remember, right here on Anchor, you can leave us a voice message. Let me know what you thought of the episode, what you agreed with, what you didn't agree with. It's all love. Thanks for listening. Thank you.